0: Hello and welcome to The Intersection. My name is Mark Riley. glad you're joining us. In this episode, golden chocolate bars, booing Nikki Haley and Trump isn't going anywhere. A clown show? No! CPAC. Lawmakers want more action on child migrant labor, and well they should. Google has bowed to pressure and is now auditing its products for racial biases. They're only following Meta and Apple. What took it so long? And how many paid vacation days do you get? And how does the U.S. compare with other countries? The answer may surprise you. Let's get into it. There was a time, as James Brown once said, when the conservative political action conference was at least respectable. Now, it's little more than a circus and not a very good one at that. It's tough to figure out where to start. Okay, how about here? The CPAC chair, Matt Schlapp, who we talked about a few episodes ago, is the guy who's been accused of groping a male staffer to fail Georgia Senate candidate Herschel Walker. You might think he'd keep a low profile, but no, he's even hosting, or hosted, that is, a panel discussion at the conference. In years past, literally everyone in the conservative universe would attend CPAC. It was, after all, important to be seen. This time around, though, leading lights like Ron DeSantis, I hate to say that, but there are leading conservative lights, Ron DeSantis, Mike Pence, and even House Speaker Kevin McCarthy stayed away. Why, you might ask? CPAC has turned into a clown show in service of, you guessed it, Donald J. Trump. Consider this. His son, Donnie Jr., who spoke last Friday, told attendees to look under their seats. A lucky few found gold-wrapped chocolate bars that entitled them to attend a reception the next day with, guess who? Yep, his dad. One published report said people were heard screaming with joy on finding the chocolate bar under their seats. That's because this CPAC was all about Donald Trump. He spoke Saturday night, And it was like old times. Adoring fans, fact-free speeches, and workshops, including one convened by, guess who, Mike Lindell, the MyPillow guy. No wonder so many polls stayed away. Nikki Haley, one of only two, or maybe three, announced challengers, actually two announced challengers to Trump, actually did show up and she spoke. She was heckled and hectored by the Trump faithful. Trump, on the other hand, basked in adoration and said during his speech he'd keep running even if he were indicted in any of the probes that he currently faces. Yet don't let all the Donald mania fool you. Trump's in a battle this time around, even though the field of presidential hopefuls could end up being much, much smaller than in 2016. DeSantis and Haley are just two contenders, and there may be more. People around Trump know, CPAC hype aside, that he may well be in a fight this time around. Reports about CPAC also point out it was less than the robust conference it's been in years past. What that means is that there were situations, speeches, workshops, whatever, that were halfway attended and in some egregious cases, barely attended at all. In the the end, that is, it may take more than gold-wrapped chocolate to put the former guy back in the White House. Now that we've gotten the foolishness out of the way, let's talk about vacation. Thought that might get your attention. Here's a question. What country do you think has the most days of paid vacation? Hint, it's not us. We're not even close. The winner is, drumroll please, Iran. That's right, Iran. They give their workers 53 days of paid vacation. The other countries at the top of the paid vacation pile might surprise you. They are San Marino, 46 days, Yemen, 45 days, and four countries tied with 44 days. Now, where do you think the lowest numbers are? That is of paid vacation days. Well, number one is Micronesia with nine. And the U.S. is tied with Nauru, wherever that is, with 10. That's right, America has the second lowest number of paid vacation days of anywhere on the planet that gives vacation days. By the standards of paid vacation and paid leave, the U.S. is even worse. Not only does it have the second fewest number of paid vacation days, it's the only country in the developed world with no statutory paid leave, that would be maternity and others. It's left up to the employer. What has that meant for, for example, maternity leave? The number of organizations offering it is at 35 percent last year. That's down from 53 percent two years ago. That's according to one survey, while another put the drop during that same period from 44 percent, to 27%. No matter which survey you believe, that is a sorry, sorry record, especially for a country that is supposed to be leading the developed world. Some of this has to do with the pandemic, obviously. Yet every other country in the world experienced COVID-19. Maybe this is why so many people in the US are complaining about their work-life balance and doing something about it, much to the vexation, if there's such a word, of many U.S. employers. Obviously, most Americans, myself included, would not trade the relative freedoms they have in the U.S. with the authoritarianism that is Iran, no matter how much paid vacation they give. Yet the rise in hybrid working situations and mental stress and anxiety brought on in part by the pand- pandemic ought, you'd think, make the U.S. government think seriously about creating a more generous paid vacation and leave offering than 10 days, 10 days and absolutely nothing. Now, I seem to remember in the not too distant past, too distant past, and, you know, maybe my memory's going on this, but I thought Bernie Sanders during his presidential campaigns talked about this back in the day. I'm just asking. Up next, child migrant labor and exploitation is on a steep rise and Congress is being pushed to do something about it. But what and just who is employing these migrant children? This is The Intersection. Wherever you are, stay tuned to The Intersection with Mark Riley. Welcome back to The Intersection. The exploitation of underage children is a national outrage. You know, many, many years ago in American history, young people, children, were exploited for their labor, paid very little, and made to work extraordinarily long hours. But that was supposed to be a long time ago in our history. Now, maybe not so much. It appears unscrupulous adults sponsor underage kids and compel them to work illegally. If it smells like a racket, that's what it is, a racket. These are largely unaccompanied minors, and the adults take custody of them and farm them out to companies who, in some cases, make them work long hours in dangerous conditions. It sounds familiar, depressingly familiar. Here's how this comes about. The number of migrant children crossing the border into the US has skyrocketed. There's no doubt about that. That's placed pressure on the Department of Health and Human Services to accommodate and find sponsors for them quickly. The New York Times did an investigation recently that showed labor trafficking is happening all around the country. Children are being placed in jobs that endanger their safety, and current laws are old and the fines are so low that for some companies, it becomes the cost of doing business. The Times expose has apparently spurred some lawmakers on both state and national levels to propose tougher vetting of sponsors and increased penalties for companies that hire and exploit migrant children. This is a good thing, but it shouldn't take a newspaper article for the agencies of government to do their jobs properly. There should have been thorough vetting, tough fines, and where appropriate, criminal prosecution to stop this in its tracks. The buck, sad to say, stops with the Biden administration. They're in charge of the agencies tasked to see to it that all children in this country, migrant or not, are not exploited in any way. If more resources are needed to be committed to vet sponsors and provide shelter for unaccompanied minors, so be it. The days of children being exposed to life-threatening injuries should be well behind us. Well behind us. And we ought to see to it with some alacrity. In other words, fast. Because this is a national outrage. See, people don't understand sometimes how these sorts of things can get used by countries that America is not friendly with to point out, when America points out something they're doing, like the Uyghurs with the Chinese or uh, the war in Ukraine with Russia, they turn right back around and say, look, look, migrant children coming into the United States are being exploited. They're working long hours for very little money, and it's a racket. And you know what? It's very difficult to argue with these countries. People might euphemistically call them our enemies when they make these kinds of points when they're true. And the bottom line is the only way to solve this problem is to crack down and crack down hard. The days of kids having to worry about and deal with this and have this be the new normal for these children coming into the United States. That time should be well, well behind us. Need to see to it and see to it quickly. And finally, Google follows the lead of other tech companies and releases that is an audit looking at how its policies impact civil rights and racial equity. About time. This is The Intersection. You're listening to The Intersection of Politics and Culture with Mark Riley. Welcome back to The Intersection. Civil rights leaders and some Democrats have been pressuring Google for a while now to assess how its policies impact communities of color regarding both civil rights and racial equity. Given the numbers of people of color who use Google and its subsidiary, YouTube, you know, I didn't even know YouTube was a subsidiary of Google, but it's not an outlandish request no matter what, no matter how you slice it. Google has been accused in the past of not cracking down hard enough to monitor, among other things, hate speech. There's also the question of whether the tech giant is doing enough to diversify its own workforce. The audit was first reported by the Washington Post, which said it was relatively muted when compared to audits of other major tech companies. The audit did, however, recommend steps that need to be taken to identify areas that are struggling to achieve diversity. Here's my problem with this sort of thing. And I mean, it's nice they're doing it, but I still have a problem with it. In too many cases, at too many companies, tech and otherwise, efforts at increasing diversity end up ticking a few boxes on a sheet of paper and then congratulating themselves on their Herculean effort to diversify. The larger picture, however, doesn't change because in order to make that happen too often, fundamental change is necessary. Like most corporations, if doing the right thing on issues like diversity and racial equity will cost them time and or money, guess who loses out? Now, I'm going to tell a story here about an experience I had, It's a, and I have to grant you it was a long time ago now, but many years ago, I went to a conference of journalists of color. It was full of media companies from all over America, all of them. To a company expressed not just a desire to diversify, but a commitment to diversify. Now, I hate to say this, but that commitment took the form of, for example, merchandise. They had pens, they had notebooks, they had the whole nine yards with diversity written all over them. I remember the pens. The, the pens stuck in my mind for some reason because they just had, you know, this company and we're committed to diversity on a pen or a pencil or whatever, just like before the mass use of electronics to get things done. The message was simple, diversity, and they were all in. Now, the year before that conference, the total number of people of color in newsrooms in America stood at 4%. A year after all those mighty phrases and the pens and all of that, the percentage was flat. At 4%. In short, despite all the commitments at the conference, little or nothing changed. Now, many years later, I'd be a fool if I said progress has not been made. The percentage, depending on who you talk to, is between 17 and 25%. Which is, you know, some, some decent work. On paper, certainly. Looks like a massive increase. Yet the conference I attended was in 1999, better than 20 years ago. So it took them 20 years to achieve the diversity that they said they were working on back then. The big tech companies, like other more traditional media, control the flow of information to communities far and wide and especially to communities of color. How many times have you heard somebody in casual conversation, ask a question, or discuss an issue, and they say, let's look it up on Google. Or let's ask Mr. Google, for those who are given to colloquialisms. It is a fact of life. Now, where that information comes from, the quality of that information should be important to everybody. And the people who gatekeep that information should reflect the communities that actually consume it. There should be... And, I, you know, you don't want to set percentages. You don't want to say, well, you know, calling all black people, calling all black people, we've got jobs. That's not how it works. There needs to be, at all of these, not just Google, there need to be needs to be at these companies an organic diversity that I submit many of them do not have. When pressed... They will say something. When pressed, they do something. How much? It's uh, open to the question. They have enormous power, these companies, to influence thought. In the recent past, they've been hesitant to change much about their business models because, well, the models are successful. Besides, businesses that can dazzle even congressional committees with talk of algorithms and the like have little incentive to change their practices on equity, inclusion, or much else. Don't get me wrong. Google did the right thing in commissioning the audit of their policies and practices when it comes to racial equity and civil rights. Let's see how much actually changes as a result. Thanks so much for listening to The Intersection. The executive producer is Kim Jack Riley. And music is by Tevin Thomas. Until next time, Please be well.